Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. We're very excited to talk with you today. Can you please start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. My name is Drew Grunewald. I'm an associate professor based in the School for Environment and Sustainability, and I teach and do research across a variety of topics that mostly relate to water quantity and water quality. So in some circles, people would call me a hydrologist. Can you elaborate a little bit on the specific areas that your research focuses? Sure. One of the areas we do a lot of research on is understanding the water balance of large lake systems. And when I say the water balance, what I mean there is trying to understand all the sources of water that come into a lake and all the ways that water can leave a lake through things like evaporation or just simply outflow. So we try to develop that understanding, uh, first and foremost, for the Great Lakes right here in our backyard. Um, But we also do research on large lake systems around the world. So right now, looking at the water balance of these large lake systems and how they change with climate change and human impacts uh, is really one of our primary areas of research. Can you share a little bit about your process, how you conduct this type of research? You know, I, before coming to the University of Michigan, I worked for the federal government. I was a scientist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And part of that job was to be a public servant. And I still take that role very seriously here at the University of Michigan. So one of the things that excites me most about my research is when I'm answering a real world question that in many cases I've heard somebody from the public articulate. For example, in the case of the Great Lakes, somebody might notice that water levels have have risen suddenly and they will call and ask, hey, Drew, or they'll ask someone from our research group, why have water levels risen so quickly? And is this something we might expect in the future? The fact that a question like that might arise out of um, general interest and that a response to that will help the public good is really important to me. And it guides a lot of what we do with our research. What are the implications of water level variability in the Great Lakes? There's sort of two implications that I would focus on. One is the impact that they have on the coast. And then the other thing is what we can learn about how things are changing in the climate around us from looking at lake levels. So let me give you an example. Um, If you look at the shorelines of the Great Lakes, particularly those where people like to build houses or build commercial establishments, the the fluctuations in water levels can have a big impact on how close you can build something safely to the shoreline. We've seen over the past several years as water levels have risen that people have sometimes built homes or commercial establishments too close to the shoreline and they've been damaged and in some cases even entirely lost. So there's those are the type of direct impacts of water levels on the shoreline. But the other thing is that we can learn an awful lot about what's happening in the environment around us. For example, When we look at periods when water levels decline abruptly, often that means that evaporation rates have changed. So there are time periods when the lakes warm very rapidly, ice cover goes down, uh, and that's a consequence of very large scale processes that we don't see really when we're in a town or a community or even a university. We have to collect data at a very broad scale 
to understand what processes are going on that might cause water levels to decline abruptly or rise abruptly. So there's a connection there between what we see with water levels and what's causing those changes. And how does that then affect the overall Great Lakes system? There's two things. One is that in terms of the water level fluctuations, they're having an impact not just on the near shore, but water level fluctuations have impacts on near shore habitat, coastal environments, the migration of wetlands over time. But to flip that around, the forces that are driving water levels, I mentioned a moment ago changes in evaporation, but let me talk about a different one pertaining to changes in rainfall. Um, changes in rainfall and precipitation have a huge impact on the region. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is that one of the drivers of water levels in terms of rainfall and precipitation can also have profound impacts on the region. Over the past several years, we've seen a big increase in flooding events and in some cases, catastrophic flooding like what happened in Midland, Michigan. Uh, and that's a consequence of increased precipitation on the region, the same force that drove an increase in water levels. Why is it important to examine all of these different aspects of the Great Lakes when you're conducting your research? The easiest answer is that like any big system, uh, if there's anything you want to know about one particular aspect of the system, you usually have to have a holistic understanding of the entire system. Um, I know we're talking about water levels today, but they're a good example because water levels are no different. If, if you want to understand water level fluctuations on a large lake like the Great Lakes, um, there are all these different interconnected processes that you have to put together to sort of unravel the mystery of why they go up and why they go down. Um, so that's one sort of important reason why it's good to know and how they all connect. But another thing, Erica, that I would mention is that um, from a broader context, it's really important for us to understand these fluctuations from a continental water balance perspective. And what I mean by that is the, the Great Lakes right now are in a period of water abundance, right? We just talked about flooding. Um, there's been flooding for the past several years. That's not true for the entire country and it's not true for the entire world. Uh, and from that perspective, it's important to understand not just the, the gradients or the discrepancies in water abundance, but why there are gradients in water abundance around the country and around North America. Last year, we spoke with you before Earth Day to uh, talk about the Great Lakes. And I recall you sharing a statistic, and I don't remember it exactly, but that the, um, the Great Lakes are a significant portion of fresh water. And so how do the Great Lakes impact not only the lives of you know, us who live here in Michigan, but just across the nation overall? So there are a lot of different ways we can answer that question, and I'll, I'll put them in, you know, no real particular order. But the first one has to do with the economy. Um, and a lot of people don't think about this, but the Great Lakes region serves as a huge economic hub for North America. Uh, there are some estimates that indicate the, the overall GDP of the region to be on the order of $6 trillion. Um, one statistic that, that puts that into sharper focus is that according to one estimate, if the Great Lakes were their own country, you know, if we took the Great Lakes region, it'd be the third largest economy in the world. And a lot of that has to do with the shipping industry that goes through the region. Um, you've got major cities, Detroit, Toronto, Cleveland, Chicago. So um, the, the region in and of itself has a, a huge impact on the overall economy and the livelihoods of people all around the country. Now, um, the to get back to your point about the overall quantity of fresh water, 
it's, it's really important to mention to people that when it comes to fresh water around the entire earth, there is a lot of water in the subsurface in groundwater that is different from the surplus water. And there's a lot of ice captured in glaciers and ice. But when we look at the amount of water that is fresh surface water on the surface of the earth that's unfrozen, the Great Lakes contain about 20% of all that water. So it's, that's a very significant proportion. I guess, Erica, one final point I'll make that I don't think I made when we talked last year. Uh, and if I did, I'll say it again. Um, when we look at all the lakes on earth, you know, most of the water that I'm talking about, the surface water, it's in lakes. Rivers are relatively transient, but lakes are where this water is stored. There are about 100 million lakes on earth. So in other words, all of this fresh water is distributed among about 100 million lakes. The latest numbers we've run suggest that 80% of all of that water is in 10 lakes. So the Great Lakes, um, Lake Baikal, the African lakes, uh, as well as two large lakes in Canada, they contain about 80% of all fresh surface water. So Erica, understanding how water enters and leaves really big lakes is absolutely critical to the overall global freshwater picture. That is remarkable. I'm glad that you shared that. Thank you. As you, you talk about the, the impact and the importance of all of this, I'm curious what led you to this topic to conduct this research. Sure. Well, I've been interested for a long time as a hydrologist. Uh, my background is in civil engineering uh, from a water resources planning perspective. So I've always been interested in understanding um, watershed or basin scale flow of water. A lot of my work before coming to the university and before working at NOAA was in water quality, actually, and looking how changes in how we use land and use water impact water quality in coastal environments. Um, but a lot of the work that sort of focused my thought on the Great Lakes started when I worked at, at NOAA at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and has continued here at the University of Michigan. It's an ideal place for studying large freshwater systems in part because they're right in our backyard. Has the pandemic over the last year impacted the way that you do any of your work or the, the processes? Has any of that had to be altered? Wow, that's a really interesting question, Erica. You know, I, I want to first off appreciate that the pandemic has had a lot of different impacts on different people in different ways. And in general, the work that I do and that my group is doing, um, we've been very lucky to be able to continue forward with because we do so much computer modeling. But there are two ways that our work has been impacted, Erica. One is that um, a lot of the work that we do for the Great Lakes, because it is a binational resource, it, it really does depend on face-to-face on -face interactions and communication with scientists around the region. Not being able to communicate face-to-face -face and discuss ideas, I would argue, really has altered the flow of productivity and work and new ideas um, that we've had over in the, in the prior time period. Um, and I would say the same is true on a more local scale with my close colleagues, my postdoctorate fellows and students that I work with, not being able to sit down and spontaneously have a conversation about a pressing research question. I've noticed the impact of not being able to do that on a routine basis, and it's been a hard thing to overcome. So who needs to know this information, understand this information? Who, who is it important to share this with? And then why? Why do they need to know it? 
So Eric, I presume you're talking specifically about our, our Great Lakes research. There are other research topics that, that we work on, but I'll, I'll, I'll stay focused, for example, on the Great Lakes. And Eric, I'm not trying to be sarcastic when I say everybody who lives in the Great Lakes Basin and actually people beyond the Great Lakes Basin, that's truly how we feel. Um, but I can explain why. Um, everyone who lives in the Great Lakes Basin in one way or another is probably dependent on Great Lakes water um, for their livelihoods, whether it's directly for drinking water or some aspect of their professional lives. Um, and when I talk about Great Lakes water, it's important to remember I'm not just talking about water out there on the surface of the lake. I'm talking about all of the water in the basin, including water that lands on the land surface, collects, and even the water in the groundwater. All of that is part of this system. And Erica, one thing that uh, a lot of our audience might know about is there are recently a lot of petitions and motions from communities that border the Great Lakes that are either running out of groundwater supplies or their water supplies are contaminated and they're looking to the Great Lakes region as a supplementary or a new source of fresh, clean water. Uh, and so if you live within the basin, knowing where your water comes from and where it goes to, and the extent to which people from outside the basin might be filing petitions to, to utilize some of that water is absolutely critical to, to our entire way of life. I'm curious if there are any actions that individuals can take to you know, help, whether it's share this knowledge or any actions that people can take to help maintain the vast Great Lakes system. One of the things we can do is continue to read and teach our children to read. Um, there is such an overload of information right now available through media and um, recognizing where there are valuable and robust sources of scientific information and teaching our children to read that information and process it intelligently is, I think, a really important step forward uh, in this narrative. So you've shared a lot of information and I like to ask our researchers who come in with this abundance of knowledge to, you know, boil it down to one or a few key takeaways that you would want all listeners to have after they listen to this conversation. The main point I would make is that the decisions we make about how we interact with each other or in the environment, in this case with water resources, depends so much on good information. And of course, the term that we as scientists use for good information is data. So um, the ability to freely collect, store, and distribute environmental data is one of the most important things we have going for us in this country. Uh, and we have to hold on to that if we're going to be able to continue to make good decisions about the climate and the environment moving forward. You know, it's really wonderful being at the University of Michigan, but also having such a great network of other universities in the Great Lakes Basin and the, the U.S. and Canada, um, partnering with First Nations on the problem of water and partnering with state, local, and federal governments. Um, it's really an extraordinary network of, of citizens and scientists in the region, and it's a real honor to work with such a group on this particular problem. Wonderful. I think that that's a, a lovely spot to end on. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.